Today on Shtetl, Eddie Portnoy talks about how Warsaw's Yiddish press addressed the issue of suicide. Also on the show, we have Tevye Heller talking about how he deals with being an atheist on TV with his show, Oh My God, and lots of laughter with Palestinian comedian Iman. Stay tuned. So we've got a really eclectic show for you today on Shtetl on the Shortwave. Uh, I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and teching the show today is Tamara Filiovich. And we're going to be hearing from Iman. She's a Palestinian comedian who's going to be performing at an event called Kosher Jokes for the Halalidays on December 21st. And I recorded her live this week at an event called Lamoud. Before we speak with her, we're going to be talking to Tevye Heller in Toronto. And he has a new TV show called Oh My God on iChannel, and he will be speaking about his journey as an atheist born in Hampstead into a kind of observant family, and he lost his faith in God, and he's exploring that on TV with Canadian youth. But before that, we're going to be hearing from Eddie Portnoy. He is one of Shtetl's favorite contributors. He's been on Shtetl on the shortwave before. He's written for Shtetl magazine and also has a few clips in the Yiddish and Danish video dictionary. Eddie, as a hobby, goes through the Yiddish press and finds out about the lives of the average person living in Eastern Europe. And in this next clip, we're going to hear about the issue of suicide, which was apparently quite rampant at the time in the Jewish community, and how did the Yiddish press report it? So this is Eddie Portnoy, and you're listening to Shtetl on the Shortwave. One of the stories that appears in the Yiddish crime blotter very frequently are the stories of Jewish suicides. It's not just you know people that succeed, it's people that attempt it as well. They're all reported as news stories. In interwar Poland in the 20s and 30s, especially in the 30s, there are suicides almost on a daily basis. And it is all kinds of different people from all walks of life. Der Moment, April 1927. Headline, the Anatomical Institute returns the body of a Jewish suicide because the bones are worthless. As readers remember from December of last year, a young Jewish girl committed suicide by jumping from the fourth floor on Targova Street because she was not able to recover from tuberculosis. That victim, Rochel Weinstein, left a will saying that her body should be donated to the Anatomical Institute so, quote, it can be helpful in finding a cure for this dreadful disease, unquote, of which she was a victim. That exact expression was taken directly from her will, which she had scrawled in ink on her body. On Saturday, the Burial Society received notice from the Anatomical Institute saying that the body of Rochel Weinstein is of no value for scientific inquiry because the most important bones were damaged by the tuberculosis. Therefore, they do not need the body and request that they take it. And so ends the tragic life story of 17-year-old Rochel Weinstein. You know, I, I thought I thought it was fascinating how it was reported as kind of a news event, and that it appeared in, in the crime blotter with the stories of robberies and attacks and whatnot. And there were these strange little blurbs, um, and you know, it, it's, what's interesting about like some of the religious 
the reports of religious people doing it. Like one guy drowned himself in the mikvah. Uh, someone else, I think, maybe hung himself using his tefillin. Uh, you know, there are all these really dramatic episodes. I mean, some religious, some not, but, you know, the, these dramatic episodes where there's some, you know, there's some component of their tradition used in the act of ending their lives. I think Pinya Rogachinsky was his name. And he was one of four brothers who were from some shtetl somewhere uh, in Poland. They had all moved to Warsaw together and worked as painters uh, and shared, a par- shared an apartment together. Pinya was the youngest, and they write in the article that he was a socialist, and they sort of they make fun of him for that. They say something like, you know, as a true socialist, uh, he often stayed in bed. Uh, instead of going to work or something like that. And he was known in a neighborhood that he lived in previously uh, for having tried to kill himself one Saturday, so they they ended up nicknaming him the Shabbos Suicide. Then uh, one day his brothers went to work, and his neighbors heard all sorts of noise coming from his apartment, and, you know, screams and howls and, and, you know, all kinds of banging. They broke the door down, his neighbors broke the door down to find that he had kind of gutted himself with a knife and was lying on the ground and screaming down with the bourgeoisie. You know, that was the story of poor Pinyarogachinsky. Yechiel Braff was a young 18-year-old tailor in Warsaw had come to Warsaw, had come to the big city from a small shtetl. He was, you know, someone who was sending money back to his to his mother in the shtetl. He started going to nightclubs and became an excellent dancer. And at some nightclub, he met this woman named Bronche. She was known as, she was sort of a party girl uh, and frequented a lot of nightclubs. And she was known as Bronche the Cossack. And she's sweet, coming down the street. Now I ask you very confidentially, ain't she sweet? Ain't she nice? Look, Rover once or twice. They started now going out. Very and he fell in love. Just cast an eye. He in went back to his shtetl to tell his mother that he was in love and he was going to get married. And when he got back to Warsaw a week later, Broncha had taken up with, with someone else. And Yechiel was despondent. He went to the pharmacy, bought some sort of tincture of iodine. He decided that he wanted to uh, kill himself in the courtyard of his ex-girlfriend's building. So he went to the building and climbed the stairs, uh, drank the poison, and then jumped out of a third or fourth story window. Der Moment. May 1927. Headline. Jewish boy commits suicide in the courtyard of his ex-fiancé on 19 Mila Street. Around 9 a.m., a number of residents of 19 Mila Street watched as a young man leapt out of a third-story window. The victim landed on the thick electrical wires that span the courtyard on the second-floor level, and he remained there, dangling. Many people came running to see what happened after hearing screams. 
In the midst of the chaos, no one could figure out what to do. In the meantime, after hanging on the wires for a number of minutes, the victim fell onto the brick street, receiving horrible bruises over his entire body. Emergency services were called, and the doctor who arrived determined that the victim drank a large dose of iodine before jumping. The victim was brought to the Jewish hospital on Chisha Street in critical condition. It appears that the victim was 18-year-old Yechel Braf, who had only a mother in the town of Kotsk. He came to Warsaw a few years ago and lived with his cousin Chaim David Braf on 20 Miller Street. He fell out of the wires and, you know, ended up falling onto the pavement. Uh, he didn't die, uh, but he was badly hurt. And it's this sort of tragic story of, uh, you know, of love lost that ends in this rash, you know, decision to, to kill yourself, but in a really dramatic way. You know, they printed it because they felt, I mean, on the one hand, it's, you know, sensationalistic. You know, it's, it's very dramatic to read about these kinds of things. Uh, and on the other, you know, at some level, they consider it uh, newsworthy. And at another level, it's all, a lot of these stories are printed as kind of warnings to people. There's a, some, there's a level of, there's, there's kind of a morality in it where they're saying, you know, you, this is something you shouldn't be doing. And they're doing it by printing the story in all its kind of raw horror. Suicide in Warsaw in the 1920s and 30s was produced by myself and Lainey Bassman. She's a radio junkie, an amazing photographer and a lawyer, and she is uh, so dedicated to Shtetl. So thanks to Lainey Bassman for helping with that. And it was her voice that was reading directly from the Yiddish newspapers, uh, one in particular, Der Moment, in 1927. Uh, the stories that she, she was reading were the ones that were translated by Eddie Portnoy for an article that he wrote for Tablet Magazine. And in this next little short clip that we're going to hear, Eddie talks about somebody else uh, at the time who also had attempted to commit suicide. His name was Reuben Gildenstern. And Reuben Gildenstern grew up in early 20th century Palestine, but after inheriting a bit of money, he went traveling to Europe. And where did he end up? On the Russian estate of Leo Tolstoy. He was a Tolstoy literary groupie. And while he was there, he fell in love, but it didn't work out. And because of that, he tried to end his life. So in this next clip, Eddie talks about what contribution Reuben Gildenstern made to our society. Take a listen. He was the guy who, who started a movement, who started an organization to help people who wanted to commit suicide, to help them out of their situations. And he wanted to create a magazine that would be entirely staffed by people who had failed at suicide. Even the printers, he wanted to have, he wanted them to have been failed suicide. This is why the magazine never came out. You know, he wasn't able to get a staff entirely made up of uh, 
of failed suicides. But he felt that only people that have, who have attempted it can really understand, you know, what it means and, and would be able to help people who wanted to, to try it. He created a club in Vienna that was, a, you know, sort of a suicide, a failed suicides club, you know, where they could meet and discuss, and you know, it was sort of a support group before they had support groups. Crazy. Yeah. I really like the idea of the the newspaper. He, I think, it was called their Selbstmord. Yeah, their Selbstmord. The you know the suicide. I think somebody should do that today. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to find. You know, someone who's tried and failed and then get a staff of people who've done the same. Not, okay. an, not an easy thing. <clears throat> Der Selbstmorder, the suicide. I, I actually seriously believe that that's a good idea. I, I, I'd be happy to get involved um, if there's anybody out there listening to Stadl who wants to start something like that up, totally get in touch with me at uh, Tamara at StadlMontreal.com and I would really be happy to work on it. I think it's a good idea. This episode of Shtetl and past episodes can be heard on iTunes. You can download and subscribe to the Shtetl on the Shortwave podcast, or you can go to shtetlmontreal.com, where you'll find stories about Jewish arts and culture, alternative stories, and takes on life in the Jewish world today, and in the past, like this story that you just heard. There's the radio show there. There's also a magazine, and in the magazine, there are um, an eclectic bunch of articles, and this week, just fresh, fresh on the front page is an awesome article by Adam Kovac called The Jew with the Mug and David Tattoo, and it's all about why it is that something that was once considered a big sin in Jewish culture is very commonplace and popular today, and he has some pretty interesting theories about it. It's a beautifully written piece. So that's The Jew with the Mug and David Tattoo on shtetlmontreal.com, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff there, including all the video clips of Yiddish in the Yiddish and Danish section, including a couple that uh, I filmed of Eddie Portnoy teaching us some some Yiddish words, and they're really fun. So go check that out. We're going to be talking with Tevye Heller, but before that, I wanted to play a song that I thought would go well with the audio piece that we just heard. So when somebody dies in the Jewish tradition, usually people will say the Kaddish for them, which is the mourner's prayer. And there are so many amazing interesting, beautiful versions of the Kaddish that have been performed by opera singers and that have been rendered by classical musicians. And I definitely think that there, there's a whole shtetl show uh, about the Kaddish in the making here. But while I was hanging out with Lainey and we were looking, uh, we were looking for music to play on the show, she came across this really, really bizarre version of the Kaddish by a group called Gina X. They're an electro-pop dance group from Germany, and they were popular in the 70s and in the 80s, and they have no real Jewish connection. Their music really doesn't have anything to do with Judaism, except that they did this one song called The Kaddish, and it really, listen closely, it really takes you through what happens when somebody in the Jewish tradition dies, but in that sort of uh, avant-garde German way. Um, <laughs> so take a listen. And Moisha, if you're listening, please don't take this personally.
by Gershon Sizomu, the spiritual leader of the Abadaya congregation in Uganda. You are here live on Stato on the short web. Mm-hmm. 
So, Moisha is dying. It's a pretty dramatic song, the Kaddish song. <laughs> but uh, it really brings you through all the steps, and I found it quite amusing and, and sort of cool. So maybe next time there's a funeral at Paperman, maybe it'll become a Paperman's theme song. You never know. Um, we're going to be talking with Tevye Heller in just a few minutes, and his whole thing is that he grew up in a observant Jewish family, but when he was a teenager, he sort of decided that he didn't believe in God anymore, and he's wondering why, what's missing in his life. So he, he's going around Canada, hanging out with Canadian youth from all different traditions and finding out you know, why they believe in what they believe in, whatever that may be. So we're going to talk to him about his new TV show, Oh My God, it's a six-part series starting on Monday, December 5th, and you can catch it on Videotron on iChannel, and apparently you can see it on Channel 120 for people who have cable. So before we talk with Tevya Heller, I thought we'd play a little bit of uh, XTC.
Shalom Aleichem, Malachem, CKUT Radio. song of mine, XTC, Dear God. And we've got Tevya Heller on the phone with us straight directly from Toronto. Tevya, you there? I'm here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really good. How's the weather in Montreal? The weather in Montreal has been surprisingly mild, but I think it's starting to be the true Canadian winter now. Yeah. 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 I was a kid there, and uh, I've been in Montreal for, for many, many, many years, but I still have nightmares about those winters. <laughs> Where You grew up in Hampstead? I, I did. Uh, I actually I lived in Shawmody, uh, okay. and then we moved to Hampstead when I was a kid. Wow. Uh, and as you know, Hampstead is a very, very, very Jewish neighborhood. Yes. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative Jewish environment, and I was taught that not only does God exist, God's Jewish. I grew up thinking heaven's kosher. Oh my goodness. God isn't Jewish? I don't know yet. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, of course we're talking because you're having this new show, Oh My God. And I wanted to know if you remember what happened to make you become an atheist since you came from... Of course I remember. You know, when I was really, really young, I moved from Hampstead to New York City to start my career in show business. And I have to tell you, it was really, really hard. I was poor. I'm talking about having to wear shoes that don't fit poor. And, you know, all I had was my ambition and my faith. And every night I would pray to God and I would beg God, please help me. Give me a son, a sandwich, anything nothing. So I said to myself, you know what? If God's not there, when you really, 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 really need him to be in your darkest hour, then what's this whole religion thing about anyway? And right then and there, I lost my faith. Oh my God. So it was New York City that did it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I but guess I'll do it. Poverty will do it. Although I guess people have different reactions to poverty and to being in need or to feeling desperate. Some people, it turns them towards God. And for other people, it might have the opposite effect. Well, you know what? There's poor and there's poor. And there's a lot of young, struggling, poor people in New York. And there's, there's actually kind of a glamour in the poverty because really you're striving for something more. I, I will tell you, it was quite a jarring shock for me to go from Hampstead, which is a pretty nice place, <laughs> to the lower east side of Manhattan, which is, and this is 10 years ago, truly the slums. It's changed a lot today. So is this something that you struggled with, losing your faith in God? Or was it just like, it was a myth? It's like Santa Claus, there is no God, and now I'm going to start like being realistic? Or was it well, something painful? It, it actually, at the time, there was so much anger and, frankly, disgust. 
I had grown up believing in God. I went to, I attended Hebrew school as a kid. All my friends were Jewish. We had a house in the country. Everyone on our street is Jewish. I went to a kosher summer camp. I sang Hatikva every morning. I was in the Jewish world in a big way. I absolutely, with every pore of my being, believed in God. But I felt so let down that I really started to question my faith, and I out of the self-realization saying, you know what, there's no God. God does not exist, and I was fine with that for 10 years. And recently, I started to miss community, and I started to miss the rituals that are involved with uh, being part of a religious community, but I didn't feel that the Jewish community had the answers that I was seeking. Maybe Islam does. Maybe Wicca, Christianity, Hinduism, atheism. So in the TV show, yeah. you hang out with young people from different traditions and ask them about why they believe in what they believe in or what they practice. What were some of the experiences that you had when you were producing this, this show? Well, every episode is a different religion. And I have a co-star that's a, a teenager. And that's because the show is really geared for a young MTV audience. And teenagers really want to see themselves reflected on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so I embed myself in, in all of these religions. And so I, I live with a rabbi's family. I live with an imam. I live with a priest. And usually their kid becomes my spiritual guide. <laughs> and they take me through the religion. And you know what I learned? There's a beauty in religion. Um, I love the fact that everyone looked out for each other. And I must tell you, everyone welcomed me with open arms. As long as you're respectful of their customs, they'll welcome you. And I would encourage your listeners to try something new. If you're Jewish, check out a mosque. If, if you're Muslim, go to a synagogue. Be respectful of their customs and traditions, but you'll learn so much and you'll be a much richer person for it. Okay, so what was it like living with an imam? Well, you know, all I knew about Muslims was what I had learned on television. Okay. And, uh, you know, the family that I stayed with was very, very uh, conservative and religious, and we had to pray five times a day. And I have to tell you, the first day that I prayed five times a day, it was really quite a pain for me. But I grew to love it because you worship with the family and everyone on the street and everyone in the neighborhood, and you become everyone's best friend really quickly. I absolutely loved the Muslim family that I was embedded with. What an absolutely lovely group of people. And the Islam religion is a beautiful religion. I knew nothing about it, and I'm so glad that I learned about it, because it's pretty cool. What were some of the cool things that you found out about Islam? Well, just how unbelievably devoted they are to the Quran. Mm -hmm. they, to them, the Quran really is, is literally coming from God or from, you know, Muhammad. And I was touched by their unflinching devotion. Um, they're also, like Jews, education is extremely, extremely important. Mm -hmm. And so all the parents demanded that their kids become doctors and lawyers and professionals. So that was very similar to me because... Mm -hmm. You know, growing up Jewish like you, we know that our parents expect a lot from us. 
they demand excellence. Well, my parents certainly did. I would imagine that the most challenging one was being with the Jewish family, seeing is that something that you really rebelled or left? Well, you know, that was a really hard episode for me because in a, in a lot of ways it was like going home. The director of the show, her name is Nicola Cole, and she's one of the, the biggest directors in, in Canada right now. She's incredibly well-respected, and she's Jewish like me. And she kind of took on a mother role to me, and so it was a really touching episode for her as well. And when I told the rabbi that I didn't believe in God, on camera you could see his face fall. He was so terribly disappointed in me, and his heart was broken. And we filmed this episode eight months ago, and I'm telling you, to this day, even this morning, I got an email from him inviting me to dinner. Mm. He has not given up on me. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of parts about an Orthodox Jewish life that I find really hard. Uh, women have many, many children. You know, there's beds in every room. Every, every meal is a huge production because you need to feed everyone and, and all the praying and the customs and having to keep kosher and separate plates. And I found that to be quite a struggle. But similar to the Muslims, they were so proud of their culture. And I asked the rabbi, don't you find it hard having all these kids and just every moment of the day is a zoo? And he looked at me and he says, are you kidding? This is what life is all about. I savor my children. I savor my life every moment. And I kind of got it. Mm -hmm. To him, community was more important than food. Wow. It was quite touching. A lovely family as well. They threw a bar mitzvah for me in the episode. You have to check it out. <laughs> I will definitely check it out. I'm going to, I think I'm going to get cable just so that I can see, oh my God, seriously. You, or don't, need, you don't need cable. Everyone, everyone gets it. There's, it used to be part of a cable package, okay. but uh, iChannel, who's carrying the show in Canada, the show has been sold to 10 countries around the world so far. And it's having its world premiere in Canada. If you just go on your dial, you'll find iChannel and you can get it. They've unlocked the channel and made it free for everyone so that viewers can check out my show and hopefully fall in love with the rest of the lineup uh, of iChannel, which okay. is producing, I must tell you, some really great cutting-edge stuff. Okay, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. Thank I wanted you. to ask you another question about being with young people who were who were, became your spiritual guides and who were part of these families okay was there ever any moment where any of these young spiritual gurus that you were following doubted their own faith or their own tradition or never they were all 100% believers whether it be for wicca christianity hinduism whatnot they absolutely b believed 100% their religion. Now, when I started filming the show, my position is religion is indoctrination. We believe what our parents believe. And so I really was rather questioning everyone's devotion. But when you see these kids on the show, I mean, these are not showbiz kids. These are regular kids. They are so unbelievably well-spoken. Mm -hmm. And they know the ins and outs of their religion so well that even for me, being there on set, I was captivated by them. And I think viewers are going to fall in love with these kids. What was it like being with the Christian family? Were they Protestant or Catholic? Uh, they were Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, they sang a lot, a lot of singing, a, a, a lot of 
crosses, you know, affixed all over the house, which for which for me the imagery was, you know, a little jarring. Uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up and I would see a cross on the top of a church, I would ask my mother what it meant, and she would say, that's tea for Tevya. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I believed until I was 12, and that's why I'm an egocentric maniac. Uh, but, you know, having said that, uh, you know, just like Jews have, you know, mezuzahs everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, affixed, affixed to doors and whatnot. I'm sure that imagery is, is jarring to a Muslim or a Christian. I, I found the religious artifacts that were dispersed around the house. I mean, we're talking holy water. We're talking statues of, of, of Mary and, and Jesus and all of that. But you know what? I absolutely respect that this these, this imagery is important to them, and so they totally got the fact that I was open-minded. Okay. And so it was, it was kind of neat. Cool. I had a very cool boyfriend from Toronto who was Hindu, and yep. when we went to visit his grandmother, she had up on her wall like a swastika, but it was artfully done, and yep. it's part of the, the Hindu symbolism. So that was sort of gave me definitely a shock, and then I totally laughed. But Well, that you know what? I'm so glad you brought that up. In the Hindu episode, by the way, Hindus believe in Jesus. I'm not sure if you know that. No, I didn't know that. Yep. They, we were filming in these Hindu temples. We walk in, and there's a gigantic picture of Jesus Christ, and I was like, what is up with this? Apparently, they believe in Jesus as well. But going back to swastika, as we were filming the Hindu episode, we were filming in a Hindu neighborhood, and we're selling trinkets, posters, and dolls, and on absolutely everything is emblazoned a swastika. And so I say to her on camera, like, what's up with the swastika? As you can imagine, there's no other symbol in the world that I find more repugnant and more disgusting than a swastika. It's, but I'm sure you can imagine, imagine as, as, as a Jewish person how disgusting a swastika is. Well, it's disturbing, but when you find out how it was sort of manipulated to, to mean something so incredibly opposite to its original yep. meaning, it's, it's, a, it's an important, I think it's an important lesson. Hindus, uh, Hindus look at the swastika meaning love and life. To them, it means something completely different. So I was a little upset by that, but she said the Nazis co-opted the swastika. Hindus have been using it for thousands of years. It originally was supposed to mean love life, and so Hindus obviously associate it with Nazis. They associate it with goodness and love and life. I must tell you, the Hindus that I was embedded with obviously knew I was Jewish, had nothing but respect for the Jewish tradition and Jewish history, and were lovely, lovely people. So, so I want to make very clear that I do not associate at all uh, the co-opted swastika with Hindus, because I can hear the panic voice. <laughs> Tevya? You have a great name. I'm sure it's played a big part uh, in your life. Like I can imagine how being in this world with the name Tevya affects a lot of your interactions. It does. How? Here's the thing. When when you're when you go, I spent a lot of time in, in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, and Hollywood is more Jewish than Jerusalem. <laughs> and having a name like Tevya opens so many doors for me because the heads of networks, all the top agents, all the top managers, all the top bookers. Literally, all the decision makers in Hollywood are Jewish. Oh my God. And it seems like I've been given an extra chance because I'm Jewish. Hey, my last name is not, you know, Kardashian. You got to work with what you got. Right. And um, yeah, it's actually been pretty terrific. I love my name and I'm very proud of it. 
Great. Tevya, thank you so much for coming on to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I hope you'll come back again. And I really look forward to seeing Oh My God on the iChannel on Videotron Channel 146 on Monday. And it, it sounds like a really, really great idea. I'm so glad that you did this. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Okay. Take care. Take care. So that was Tevya Heller of Oh My God. And I think it sounds like a fascinating show. I love the idea and I can't wait to watch it actually. And um, I wasn't sure it sounded kind of gimmicky, but I think it sounds actually like it could be really profound in many ways. So we are going to take a very quick break for a station ID and an ad, and then we're going to be back with Iman, a Palestinian comedian from Montreal. Can you CKUT CKUT Let's get acquainted with the sounds of different frequencies. And perhaps I should have mentioned before that it's essential for your tuner to be connected to CKM Radio. Sounds terrific. All right. This past week in Montreal, we had another Lemud, a festival of Jewish learning, arts and culture. It's based on the Hebrew word Limud to study, but we have our own flavor here in Montreal. And there was an event this week on Monday night where the theme was fusion. And it was pretty amazing, actually. There was um, a separatist talking about his love for Jewish learning. There was throat singing and nigun singing together. And then there was this comedy show which brought together uh, Jewish and Muslim comedians. I just having heard the interview with Tevya and spoken with him about, oh my God, I think this is the perfect clip to be playing. This is Iman. She's going to be participating in a comedy show on December 21st called Kosher Jokes for the Halalidays. And there are a a bunch of Jewish comedians and Muslim comedians that'll be performing. And you can find out more about that on shtetlmontreal.com. There's an event section and all the details are there in the what's new section. So take a listen. This was recorded live at Lemud this week. It's Iman. She, uh, she gets started talking about um, just general stuff about being a Montrealer or being a human, but then her humor goes a little bit more towards um, being Muslim and what it's like being Muslim and also some, some jokes about how us Jews and Muslims get along so great. So this is Iman. Take a listen and we'll be back. <laughs> Everybody, um, anybody came to Kosher Jokes for the holidays last year? One person? Okay, that's not good. That's not good. Uh, nobody, you guys should totally come because what are Jews and Muslims doing, right? Christmas time? Jews and Muslims laughing together. It was awesome last year, right? One person? Tell them. Tell them. The yeah, from Montreal, uh, and I gotta tell you, there's something uh, that I'm sure Jewish people and Muslim people in Montreal agree about, is how awesome the summertime is. We love the summer, but, but, we have to be fair. Everything that's good has its downside. As far as summer goes, the ladies in the audience will agree with me. The profanities that are yelled at us for walking down the street in our summer clothes, right? It just bothers me because the cat calling is done by the nastiest looking guy on the street. You notice this? Like never a Brad Pitt look-alike, right? No, because then we'd work something out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nastiest guy. And I mean, I never understood what satisfaction those guys got from yelling these things out. 
Did it ever happen that one of them got laid after yelling something out? Imagine. It's like, hey baby, why don't you come over here and suck on this? Oh my God, really? Thank you so much. I've been waiting all day for someone to ask me, thank you. You're so romantic, what a man. Like, no, it's not gonna happen. But, but we do have to give guys credit because at least they try. Like, men, you're strong. You can handle rejection, right? Ladies, we can't handle rejection. We can barely take compliments properly, are you kidding me? It's true, the other day this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, I really like your hair. I'm like, he's talking about my mustache, I know. <laughs> he sees my hair he likes through the jeans. He's not fooling me. Again, guys are different. Guys take compliments so well. Guys take insults as compliments. It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. I ran into an old friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time, and he's balding. Like, beyond balding. He was losing his hair as we were talking on the street. You should have seen it. So I wanted to tease him a little. So I'm like, Frankie, what's up with the new bald spot? I swear to God. He's like, you like it? Just got it. Just got it. Brand new and shiny. You like it? I moisturized that shit. What? I was joking, I can't believe. But I gotta say, the overconfidence gets to me. Not all guys are like this. Certain guys, when a guy asks you out on a date, you say no, he calls you a whore. Or a lesbian, right? And this is what kills me. It doesn't cross their mind for half a second that something might be wrong with them. It's like, I'm sorry, sir, you're five foot three. I'm sitting down, you're standing up, I'm still taller than you. This is not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. And ladies, we would never do that. If the roles were reversed, we ask a guy out on a date and he says no, we would never be like, what are you, a homo? You must be a homosexual. What's wrong with your penis? Tell me. Something's wrong with your penis. Never, right? A guy says no to us, we take the blame for that automatically. Other day, walking to the metro, homeless guy stops me for money. I say, I'm sorry, I don't have any. He looks me up and down, not a word of a lie, and says, well, I wouldn't sleep with you. You. Who asked you, why would you do that to my self-esteem? Why? And I'm a girl, right? Instead of being like, whatever, he's homeless, I don't care. I wouldn't sleep with him anyway. I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I'm going on a diet. No, I'm gonna go on a diet, because if homeless guys won't date you, you have serious problems, I'll tell you that. I have a house and everything, it's not. Um... It's good, but on my way here tonight, another homeless guy stopped me for money. I said, no, he showed me his penis. So, you win some, you lose some. I gave him $5, and uh, it's so good. It's so good. So guys, I'm originally a Palestinian Muslim woman. The silence, we get it all the time. Thank you. Thank you. It's very nice. Uh, I am Palestinian, and believe it or not, my parents' wedding anniversary happens to fall on September 11th. Yeah, so you can imagine how the neighbors react. A bunch of Arabs celebrating every year. They don't like us very much in Cote St. Luke. I'll tell you that right now. And this year, this year my parents celebrated their 33rd wedding anniversary. We had a barbecue in the backyard. Can you picture this? A barbecue, Arabic music blaring, a whole lamb roasting on a spit. People were terrified, right? And to make matters worse, my father decides to make a speech with his very heavy and scary Arabic accent. <laughs> Disaster, you guys. This is the speech. September 11th is a very, very special day for me and my wife. <laughs> it is the day that Allah brought us together in unity. 
After that day, I knew we could be anywhere in the world. We would be strong. Thank you for coming to celebrate this special day with us. Allahu Akbar. Right? So at this point, helicopters are hovering over the house. Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah are sending us greeting cards. It's not, uh, it's not good. And you have to know my father, he is the proudest Muslim man you'll ever meet in your life. Seriously, he's the only person I know who does not get annoyed by Jehovah's Witnesses. He doesn't, he invites them in every time, like, oh, come in, come in, my friend. I show you who converts who, come. <laughs> it's crazy, I do love my parents, but they're driving me insane because I haven't been married since I was born. This is, this is what I'm dealing with. And you know what, I blame my father for being single, because growing up, when girls would call the house for my brother, he'd get really excited. God forbid a guy called the house for me or my sister. It was like, hello, who are you? How do you know my daughter? I kill you. And it's like, who's, who's gonna call? But now that I'm older, now that I'm older, any guy calls the house, it's like, hello, are you calling for daughter number one or number two? I give you both half price, yallah. <laughs> two for one, two for one. My mother is a different story. She just wants grandchildren. She's convinced I'm too picky. Every time I speak to her, she's like, man, you can't afford to be picky anymore. You're 92 years old. I'm like, mom, I'm 29. She's like, we're Arabic. We read from right to left. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's good, but I do, I do love living in Montreal. It's so, it's so awesome. And I find it so great. This is why I'm putting the show together at Christmas time. It was such a success last year, although one person came. Uh, it was really, really good because in Montreal, Muslims and Jews get along all the time, right? We get along. Right, people? You have, do you have, anybody have Muslim friends? Don't be embarrassed, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> do not be embarrassed. But we do get along together, and I find, I find we have so much in common, you know? Muslims and Jews specifically. Like, we both don't eat pork, sort of, right? <laughs> we both don't celebrate Christmas, the whole circumcision thing. All the fun stuff, really, this is what we're doing. While the Christians are drinking wine at church with slightly longer penises. I don't know. But even in our language, too, we use similar terms. You know, shalom, salam, it means the same thing. Kosher, halal, it means the same thing. You say Israel, we say Palestine, it means the same. And you know what? I never understood why Jewish people did not like the term Palestine. Listen to it. Palestine, Stein, you can't get more Jewish than that. I'm trying to find solutions, people. Solution. I'm actually really proud of the fact that my best friend in the whole world is Jewish. Seriously, in Montreal, grew up together. My first friend when I moved to Canada, uh, very awesome. And it was so cute, when we were younger, we played this game. Instead of cowboys and Indians, it was Israelis and Palestinians. She'd come over and kick me out of my house. So it was a fun time. <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, I do, uh, I do, uh, want to tell you, I did go over to Israel last February to perform stand-up comedy. It was so awesome. Uh, they loved me so much at the airport. They kept me there for three hours. And I, was so, I was so great. Anyway, you guys, that's it for me. Come to the show this year. Join me. Thank you so much. Give it up for Eva. Give it up. All right. So kosher jokes for the halala days. Uh, I definitely had a good laugh and uh, Iman posted.
pokes fun at everybody equally and and she makes light of some sensitive subjects and i think it's awesome the most the most sensitive i thought was the, the comedy about the homeless the homeless uh, man who didn't want to have sex with her and uh it was actually pretty funny that she gave the guy who showed her his penis uh five dollars and i think this is a good time to talk about how on ckut every single year we have a homelessness marathon and i think this year it is february 21st the marathon uh, and it's uh, a broadcast that happens outside all night in the cold and it's uh, about 14 hours of radio all from the perspective of uh, homeless people and talking about real issues that they face so check that out uh, in february we'll talk about it more when when the time comes closer and that takes us to the end of shtetl on the shortwave tune in in two weeks for the hanukkah special we're going to go out with a song called lamentation walu it's by a band called boogie balagan and uh, they call themselves palestisraelians so they're from israel take a listen